0: Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy.
1: Canis Albinus.
0: Makalua. The Mean Team. Mega
2: Bears fan.
3: So, are we uh, ready, steady, then?
1: Three, two, one, go.
3: <laughs> All right, welcome to Polycast episode uh, 403 on The and Team, joined by Canis Albinus.
1: Oh. Well, you see, I forgot again, because I can't remember anything clever on the spot.
3: Makalua?
0: We called this the technical difficulties po- uh, episode, but uh isn't that a lot of episodes? <sighs> yeah, I'm
3: Mega Bears fan.
2: Yeah, I like to blame it on it being morning here on the west coast. It's too early for me to be doing this stuff. It's morning somewhere in the world.
3: Most mm, of the
1: time hope oh, go ahead.
0: I was gonna say it's also five o'clock somewhere.
2: Uh the
1: UK, I think. Because it's 12 o'clock on the East Coast of the U.S.
0: It's time to have a
1: drink.
3: Oh, nice. Well, that's always true. Or two. Speaking of things that give us drinks...
0: things that yeah. occur when drunk occur when drunk occur when d- did we need more merging in this industry but anyway take two as merged with zynga which what does this <sighs> say to me we're totally getting a mobile sieve thing somewhere in the near future
1: i think we already had one and it didn't work out
0: yeah but they're probably gonna try again because why not
2: but that's only because it wasn't made by zynga unless uh-huh. it was in which case well
0: yeah you gotta keep tw- trying right yeah, and I also guess. twelve point seven billion dollars share buyout. That's a lot of money. Yeah, uh, they're pointing out that that's the Take Two's one like weakness in market as far as gaming is concerned. They didn't have a good mo- anybody who did anything good mobile, so now they've got Zynga. But it doesn't just include Civ. That includes things like GTA and Bioshock. Some of the uh, annuals, what is NBA, and some of the annual sports titles. They've got Red Dead, Borderlands yeah, there's, yeah, so there's a lot of things, not just Civ, that could end up with
1: GTA. mobile versions.
0: of Yeah, no, I said I thought I said GTA, but... You
1: might have. I, my brain isn't working. But we already knew that.
0: <laughs> so expect a lot of franchises you didn't expect to have mobile v- things near you soon?
3: Do you guys not have phones?
0: <laughs> God. Uh, no, sorry, we don't have $1,000 smartphones. Jeez, no. <laughs> Hey, I, mean, I don't
3: have anything against uh, against using mobile games or making mobile games. I just I'm not interested in them personally. So as long as they keep normal game development uh, in parallel, I'm not going to complain. Uh, if yeah. they do stop that, then you know, I won't be happy. But life goes on.
1: We'll just have to switch o- switch over to whatever else comes next.
3: Yeah, I mean, if there's if there's enough people wanting to play some type of game, somebody will start making it eventually. So we'll live with it.
2: But yeah, we'll, well, we'll see. <clears throat> worst case hypothetical is that Zynga's mobile design philosophy starts leeching even more into the you know console and PC gaming designs. So hopefully that does not happen. I... Well, there's
3: some there's some benefit to console because uh, you have limited in- inputs there too. So it depends how they go about it. Uh, with PC, I- you know, in in theory it shouldn't be a problem, but in practice I've observed that it just results in UI neglect.
0: Well, but there's I was a reason it has
2: to. I was talking more about like, you know, monetization and, you know, oh,
0: junk like no. that.
2: All, all the the wait 24 hours for the next thing to unlock in a game kind of crap.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, that's oh, already man. been on consoles. Yeah.
2: I'm looking oh, like at PC. I just don't want to see more of it.
1: <laughs> I'm looking at you Dragon Age Inquisition.
3: It's also on PC. It's uh, already unfortunately
2: common, so And yeah. Mass
1: Effect Andromeda, which wasn't as bad as people like to think it is.
2: Yeah, I brought up Gran Turismo 7, and, well, we were chatting before, uh, starting with all the, their $20 million exotic cars that cost $200 real world dollars to buy.
1: Like, I can't imagine that's a good business practice for them, because, I mean, nobody ever talks about Gran Turismo anymore, it's only Forza.
2: Yeah, well, and especially since, like, it's especially bad when you design your entire monetization scheme around just the whales, because, like, nobody's buying any of the cheaper Nobody's using these microtransactions to buy the cheaper stuff because all the rest of the stuff in the game is like easily affordable. It's just the super ridiculously expensive stuff, right? There's like the $20 million stuff and then there's the $100,000 stuff and like very little in between. So it's just it's it's signed entirely for the whales, which I can't imagine they make that much money off of it. But maybe they do. I don't know.
1: I've never seen a blue whale playing a mobile game, so I don't know. (laughs) Orcas maybe, but not blue whales.
2: If I can just open this darn link. Uh, so yeah, this is not a merger of a company, but it is news about another company, which is that Microsoft is announcing a possible competitor to the Civilization franchise. Uh, it is called Aura? Era? I'm assuming it's pronounced Aura. I don't know offhand.
1: I would imagine.
2: They, yeah, which they are calling History Untold Turn-Based Strategy Game.
1: Grand Strategy Game.
2: Yes, grand strategy game.
1: It says it's created by Firaxis and EA veterans, so we're already off of a great start.
3: Wow, well, which Firaxis
1: veterans? It doesn't say. If I had that to take color a wi- my
3: opinion, somewhat.
1: If I had to take a wild guess, I would suspect um, some that have left quite a
0: while ago.
2: I mean, I doubt it's any of the big names like the lead designers, since they're all off with their own studios and making their own independent
0: projects. Yeah, Cause if one of so, them had come over, they would have trumpeted that to the, you know, yeah. Sky. if it was a yeah.
2: Soren Johnson or someone like that, we, we Oh no, it's clearly not it.
1: <laughs> They don't even mention the name of this, of the studio in the article, but we know that they made ashes of the singularity. So, uh, if we were going to do the, uh, the, um, the, um, journalist's job for them and properly look up and include the information that was supposed to be in the article good job games journalists! you've really done a good job at this one
2: was there even like a trailer or anything because
3: we got a trailer but we didn't get a good look at what the game uh, play would
1: it was more of a teaser yeah
2: yeah just cinematics
1: oh I guess it does tell us oxide games does it but doesn't tell you who the publisher is the publisher is Stardock
2: Oh, I was assuming the publisher was Microsoft.
1: Oh, maybe the publisher is is Microsoft, and the um, publisher of Ashes of the Singularity was. Yeah, that's Stardock. Stardock.
3: Yeah, they did Ashes.
1: Look at Oxide Games. Do the job that, you know, was appropriately <laughs> supposed to be. All right. We
0: can't memorize who works at every single game company.
1: Yeah, and, that, like, that's literally not our job. That's your job because you are. The journalist, no Brad Wardell, and former Paradox employees Dan Baker, Mark Meyer, Brian Wade, and Tim Hip. Huh.
3: Not a lot of names I recognize, but
1: I recognize mm, Brad Wardell.
3: Sure. Yeah, he's he's
1: yeah. uh he was the founder of Stardock. He still is yeah. the founder of Stardock, and I believe he's Trust still the them. CEO of Stardock.
3: Well, we'll see, uh, and you never know if they actually do get some sort of mix between Paradox Games and civ and it's good then yes it will actually be competition i will be honest and... if I,
1: if there was anybody in the industry i would expect to have a good shot it's that team so yeah because um ashes of the singularity while not popular was pretty good
2: yeah uh, historic turn-based strategy gaming subgenre certainly is starting to get awfully crowded lately
3: yeah and i think that's a good thing though because in the past like decade there has been minimal competition previously and uh, the quality suffered for it to a degree. So yeah, it's, it's it, good to see some coming up.
2: It is good in that there are more options for people to play. But it is also bad for people like me who have full time job and kids and other hobbies, because it's going to be really hard to actually play all these darn games. I've gone through the tutorial of Old World so far, but uh, that game's been out for like a month now on Steam. And, and all I've gotten past is the tutorial. So because I just haven't had time to play it.
3: Yeah, Wait. I've been not doing uh, strategy too much. Well, I've been doing like turn-based tactical uh, strategy, like Battle Brothers, rather than stuff like this. But I am interested in the old world at some point.
1: The Oxide Games Wikipedia page is being considered for deletion. Why? It doesn't ever say why. It just says well, it's in accordance with Wikipedia's deletion policy. Well, what the What does that what? mean?
0: Nobody edited it in a couple of years. Uh, but or- why would you need to delete it?
2: Or nobody looks at it.
1: There's like 14 things here, and I don't- I'm not going to read them all because we're in the middle of a show, but- Like, it it is a company that has released a game, and it has achievements. Why are we deleting it?
0: Maybe somebody didn't like one of the games and tried to get them deleted. I don't know.
1: Their only game is Ashes of the Singularity.
0: Well, somebody with a petty grudge is what I'm trying to say.
3: That could be. Yeah, I don't really know how Wiki operates. Except for like when you get into people battling over like a sports person's entry or whatever from different teams, messing with it until they lock that down. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it is. It's very amazing.
1: Sony acted as a burn center for the um, employees of the Microsoft 2013 um, E3 presentation. Because that was the year that they announced that the Xbox One was going to be only, was basically not for games at all. And people were like, this is awful and then Sony just released a trailer of awesome games.
3: Smooth. So yeah, I mean we don't have anything else about uh, this new game yet, do we?
1: Yeah, but I, I'm looking at the the list of topics, and the Senate is before the forum talk. Which, <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, we don't have to do it that way. That's you go not to supposed forum talk? to happen. There's
1: a <laughs> you're to go to forum order? talk next weekend. Yeah. <laughs> next weekend? Oh, next we can. Okay.
3: Yeah no yeah go, uh, all right guys back up we're gonna we're gonna continue the show next weekend at the same time no that's not what's happening here
2: okay so forum talk uh, I, I didn't know there was a specific order in which the uh, the things had to be in
1: I don't wow, know if I've are, ever st- we
2: are truly stacking production problems here I don't so know if
1: I've ever having said a production that
3: problem I don't know if we delivering ever you seen- a production problem yo dog I don't so. know
1: I don't know if we've ever stated that directly but it's always been the, rap-
3: the practice. All right. Well, that's fine. Uh, so yeah, this is a post by uh, Layran uh, complaining about Civ Six's uh, production issues, which I'm not sure I agree with. Uh, like, I don't think production in Civ Six is that bad/slash slow. Um, I do somewhat agree with the issue of district cost scaling, and that's been something of a problem in Civ mm-hmm. Six since it was released. Uh, I think that was the
1: entire point of his po- uh, the entire point of his post
3: yeah i mean there's things you can do right like um with trade routes and whatnot to speed it up a bit or chopping but it is yeah so like we you could uh you could rearrange like what costs what a bit in Civ six i agree with that that i do
1: i mean i feel like there should be a way to settle cities after the renaissance that are going to have some districts
3: yeah and like get them up to speed because in most cases you would expect new cities to become productive more quickly with better technology rather than more slowly
2: yeah or or maybe have just some like later mid to late game policy cards that uh, reduce the cost scaling of districts while that card is in play so you know you can slot in the the card that gives you extra population in new cities and then the one that's you know gives you discounts toward districts and then get those new cities up and running more quickly at the cost of not having economic cards that are benefiting your older, more mature cities as much.
3: I think that's reasonable, but I also think it's reasonable to just make new cities scale up more quickly with tech in some way. Uh, It doesn't have to be like just automatically, but something that lets you get them going, like you just settle a city and you turn 200, it's going to be faster at baseline than turn 50. And the reason for that is that you, you want the trade offs to make sense still as the game progresses. Like, the later you are in the game, the less total benefit you're going to get out of a city just because there's fewer turns remaining. Uh, but also, like, you, you need that to, to do something for you that is more effective than what you put into it in the first place before you're winning the game, losing the game, whatever. Like, you needed something decisive of value from that city uh, before the game ends. And the later it is, the less likely that
2: becomes. Yeah, No. so two things. One is usually when I'm founding cities later in the game, it's to get access to a resource, usually a strategic resource, which doesn't require any districts or buildings. It's just send a builder over there to improve the tile. And if I don't do anything else with that city, like whatever, I got the, the resource that I needed. But also like the second point is there are ways to work around this. So, uh, you know, even though there aren't any policies that allow you to... Uh, discount the cost of districts. There is the governor that lets you buy them with gold, Uh, and then I think one of the big things that Firaxis was intending was that you should be using trade routes to boost the production of uh, new cities uh, in the mid to late games in order to get all that stuff built more quickly. Now, does that completely offset the exorbitant cost of late game districts in new cities? Probably not, but You know, there are things built into the game that are designed to reduce or mitigate that cost in the cases where you do want or need to build a new city and get districts up and running quickly.
1: I mean, I can build a library on turn 10 with 15 turns of production on a bad day. Why does it have to take uh, 120 turns on turn 200 to do the same thing?
2: I mean, I guess, like, at, like, an abstract level, and again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here, like, the the campus that you build in 3000 BC is, you know, much less technologically advanced than this building a campus in, you know, the year 2000 AD. So, the cost is higher, but also, like, the mechanics of construction are far more advanced. So, those should balance each other out.
3: I... Yeah, plus you're not making any investments to take your 3000 BC campus and upgrade it forward into something modern, right? So you, you pay that cheaper cost, and then, then that ancient stuff is still good forever. And on top of it, it's like you say, like you would expect like relative to the nations in which constructed them, that it's not even necessarily more expensive to build a campus in modern times than it would have been to produce something similar in ancient times just because we have better industry generally
1: well on top of that the campus itself doesn't have any buildings so basically we are clearing an area and planting some trees and making some
3: paths well it produces science somehow so it's there's something there but it's not really clear what that something is supposed to be throughout the ages it's just a teleport it's just a
1: tele it's just a telescope like in elden ring
2: yeah, it is weird too because like the districts in Civ 6 don't even like require population to operate them. Like they have population requirements, but all your population is working improvements on the in the countryside and not the actual urban, you know, districts. So like how is this campus providing science if there's no it has no buildings and nobody's working in it? It I mean that is a very good question. I
1: yeah. mean bring back specialists, please.
2: I mean, I guess at an abstract level, they could say that it is being worked by a small number of specialized citizens, which is not as many people as you need to work like a farm. So it doesn't count as a full point of population. But again, that's just me trying to make up ad hoc excuses to play devil's advocate because, you know, I, I'm that's a, a functional abstraction. I'm very good at making up excuses for things like this.
3: Uh, no, I think that's a, a reasonable abstraction because the number of districts you can support is gated on your population. Uh, so you would expect that some proportion of that population is not being used as citizens then, but instead towards districts. And that percentage goes up. like the absolute number of those is limited and thus your district capacity is limited. It's, we're operating on the scale of like, you know, dozens to you know, at least a couple of years a turn in most cases. So, I think that's good enough, really. Like, micromanaging that stuff could, it would get annoying. Now, that being said, I would like there to be some reason to use specialists, uh, which uh, isn't really a thing right now. Like, as a game mechanic, like yeah, we had I, in earlier sub games.
2: I, I always kind of assumed that, like, the cities in Civ 6 actually have, like, one more point of population than the UI shows you. And it's just that that is the point of population that, like, lives in the urban center of the. Uh, the city so well it does it,
3: produce the yield so uh,
2: the, so the point the population points that that are on the ui is the points of is the labor i guess population and not like the actual population of the city but you know whatever that's again just an ad hoc rationalization on my part
0: it's that it's those all those fr- who goes to the campus is all those fractions of population that can't work in the fields anymore and the campus just can y'all go over here and talk your dumb stuff and then sometimes they come up with a good idea you know the old men sitting there just shooting the breeze, or not so old men, and then they s- somehow come up with neat ideas.
2: Yeah, just staring at the mountains. Yeah, what if that, we that, did the mountains this, and jungles know? are really good and inspirational sources.
1: What's that big gray cloud on the side of the mountain that's coming at us at an alarming speed?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Whoops!
0: What are those weird animals with four legs and stuff that you know? They're not—they're not like cows. They don't give us milk. Maybe, maybe we could use them for something. I don't know.
3: I mean there are comments in this thread, like the you know, all costs in Civ Six are too much, for example. But I you know, if you make costs significantly lower, like if you just have everything across the board, you're gonna get so many units. Uh, like I do not want another picture of the Civ five carpet of doom early on.
1: I thought that picture was fake though.
3: Well no, you could on high difficulties the AI would have like units on every tile at think, some points of civ the 5. issue
2: with the ai oh in civ 5 okay
3: never mind. yeah but what yeah what i'm saying is like if you like make the costs a lot cheaper like if you just slash costs across the board in civ 6 like you can already produce a lot of units in civ 6 and the ai even more so with bonuses although it, it doesn't for some reason but in principle uh so like if you make everything cheaper well now all of a sudden like even the player can can have serious clutter issues civ Six already has clutter issues just because of well, we've covered in the past with uh, the unit sized relative cities. If you have double the number of units because you cut the cost in half, it's not going to get better.
2: Yeah, there's also I, I think like compared to previous civilization games, I think Civ 6 in particular put a lot more emphasis on trying to specialize uh, cities through the district mechanic. Because in, in previous Civ games and Civ 5 in particular, <laughs> you just kind of build everything in every city. Uh, But I I really think that what they were trying to do with Civ 6 was make it so that you build like only the infrastructure that is best in that city, which is why they limit how many districts you can build and cap it by population and make them scale up so much as a deterrent to just building everything in every city. Uh, now, whether or not that works out is, you know, a point for debate. But I do wonder if the original poster in this thread is kind of trying to approach the game more like you would in an older Civ game, Civ Five in particular, where you do have kind of that mentality of you just build everything in every city because you can.
3: I don't think so. I, my impression is Laren's a relatively experienced player. And realistically, it has never in, at least not in the past, like not since Civ Four. And probably not before that either. I don't think it's ever been a good idea in any Civ game to build everything in every city. Like, man, I don't think that's even true in Civ two or three. In Civ five, play those as much
1: in Sim five, it was kind of true until you got to the late game, where there were much more specialized buildings with limited effects. But like up through some of up through the Renaissance era, you wanted to build just about every non-military building in every city.
2: Yeah, later in the game, There's you some know, opportunity costs though.
3: Like I, I bet if you load up a game between like players competing against each other in multiplayer, and you look at you know any any point in time where the game outcome of the game is still in doubt, they will not have every building in every city. Well, no, so now I doubt it.
1: Remember, they go this is, to
3: opportunity costs to doing that.
1: Remember, this is Civ 5 when there were only usually four cities in your empire. Yeah, so.
2: that's what I was going to say as well. Like in, in Civ that's 5, you, you weren't typically building new cities beyond like the medieval era anyway because you hit that global happiness cap and it's impractical to build anymore.
3: That's true. I forgot that Civ uh, 5 basically decided to make you stop playing at some point in a sense.
1: Well, it. it I, I'm, a little
3: over harsh of a criticism, but it, 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 that really frustrated me. The disincentive to compete for land in a in an a forex strategy game is really brutal,
1: man.
2: You, you were not the only one who were was frustrated by it. Yeah,
1: I was also frustrated, but I also kind of liked it.
2: I was on the fence. <laughs> I mean, it was it was less you know micromanagement for sure
3: in my uh, yeah. But you can also like have less micromanagement by not playing at all. That's that's also an option.
1: In fact, you have none then. In my increasingly premature mental age. It's a lot easier to take care of five cities than 25. But,
3: oh, that's also a UI issue, though.
1: It's also a me issue.
3: Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, you could in Civ 4 manage any number of cities (laughs) faster than could possibly be done in five. I think that was just because you could automate it. It wasn't good automation, but if you wanted to never have that city prompt you again, you could do it. You just say, nope. Yeah. No city's done. You just produce whatever. You just sit there building wealth or you build whatever the heck building you want. You just, just go and it would do it.
2: Yeah, I think in the previous games, like you could tell your, you know, your quote, abstract governor in the city to just like focus on certain things. And I think not only would they do the the city projects that just build that yield directly, but I think they would also prioritize building whatever buildings were, you know, flavored for that particular uh, thing that you told it to focus on. And there's nothing degree, yeah. even comparable to that in Civ 6. Like you have to specifically tell every city what to do all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Even, with a, even now that there's a friggin' governor object in the game that you assign to cities, you still can't let that governor run the city. You still have to tell the city what to do.
3: You also can't like just select all the cities at once and tell all the cities at once to do something, or uh, shift-click a bunch of cities and tell them to do you, something. You or... can't
2: now. Uh, you can, I think, shift-click in the build queue, and it will add whatever you click no, to. No, no, I'm board.
3: talking about shift-clicking the cities Oh, as in you select 10 cities and you tell these specific 10 cities to build a unit. You cannot do that in civ six, to my
2: knowledge. Oh, no, you you can shift click to have every city add something to its build queue, but you can't like sh- click what specific cities you want to do that to. That is correct.
1: Yeah. OK, it would be pretty funny if we've been complaining about these UI problems for going on 10 years <laughs> now. And it turns out they were there all along. Well, well the shift CIF-6 CIF-6 is- for the CIF-6 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 has
2: added some. Yeah, yeah. Well, for one thing, the, the queue in Civ Six, I don't even think was added until the second expansion. No, it was not. After right. the expansion The second expansion. It was not
3: there initially. And
2: I don't think we had the shift clicking in in that queue until like a later patch, or possibly until the New Frontiers DLC started coming out. I don't remember exactly when it came out, but it it was not there from the beginning for sure.
3: Yeah. There's a few other things too. Like you can't. Like to my knowledge, you still can't sort cities by certain factors and then like only select that subset of cities and stuff which is again stuff you could do previously and all these things influence the speed at which you can interact with cities but also like like you said there's just no means of saying i don't want to look at the city anymore
2: you just build whatever you want
3: i think another thing even like, like you can't even loop a project <laughs> i think can queue up a lot though so that's helpful
2: I think another thing that would help in the specific case of Civilization VI would be if there were just more buildings that you could build in the city center, like beyond just a monument and a water mill, and eventually you can build a uh, a sewer. But like, that's it. There's three buildings in the entire game that go in the city center. So if you're not building districts, you very quickly run out of things to build. And if there were more things you could put in the city center, then at least you wouldn't have to build you know, necessarily districts, at least not as as often.
3: I don't think that's as much of an issue, though. Like, I understand it from a design perspective. And if the UI were fine, like it wouldn't be prohibitive to play around it. I know they wanted to emphasize the districts a lot. It was the first time we had districts implemented this way. And yeah, once they're up, you can then build the buildings of the districts, but you can also just like build projects for the districts you have. So like in terms of that, like, I I get what you're coming from, from a design perspective. You might prefer more things in the city center versus not or whatever. But from a UI perspective, I don't think it matters.
2: Well, I mean, yes, you can assign the city to work on district projects, but that does require you to have that first district in order to do a project because there's also no default project that you can just have the, the city center yeah. do. So if that first district is prohibitively expensive, then you build <laughs> your, mo- you build your monument, you build your water mill, you know, in 10 turns or 15 turns or however that long it takes. But then if, if a district is 150 turns to build, and I have seen district costs that look like that, that are over a hundred turns to build. And you know, you're settling the city in like the Renaissance or industrial era. Uh, there's literally just nothing else you can do in that city other than maybe like start popping out the cheapest units that are available.
3: Although uh, we're getting back to the other topic rather than what Canis was talking about, because uh, if you have a 150 turn build item in your queue, you probably don't have to worry about
2: that city for a while. That's true. It's <laughs> <There's> also <laughs> one way to eliminate the micro uh, <laughs> management.
0: <It was. clears throat> yeah, I'll check back after, at the end of the game to see if you're ready for a new project. But I, I do wish that I know we have to scale the districts, so you're not getting super cheap districts later on but it does feel just feel like you can't get any good development even the lesser development you'd have for a lesser amount of turns out of a city because of the way the district costs are later on it's like they're accelerating it like they're adding to it each era but then there's also a each district in the city is more expensive and then it's like each district full on is more expensive like they've piled on too much uh too much of a creep in the district cost. It's like, if you could scale it back just a little bit, it would still be rough to make a full city, but it wouldn't be feel so discouraging to even try.
3: You know, yeah. I, I, I'm more sold now on what Laran's saying though. Like you should just leave the districts cheap. It's the advanced buildings that could be made more expensive.
2: So I, the, the yeah. reason I think that Firaxis Did the Because one of the other things that goes into the cost scaling of the districts is that the cost of a particular type of district scales up based on the number of that district that you have in your own empire. And then I think it also scales down based on like the average number of that districts that all the other civs have, like compared to you. So it's also a rubber banding mechanic. The idea, I think, in part is so that one civ can't just build all of the campuses dirt cheap and then claim all of the great scientists for the entire game, which is already a, still a problem in Civ 6, where, you know, one Civ in particular tends to get most of the great people of a particular type because they have more of that district than everyone else. Uh, and then also the idea is to try to make it cheaper for Civs that don't have that district to get those districts online in, in order to start catching up in that particular um, yield and also to hopefully compete for great people. Uh so I think that's a big part of their reasoning for why they did that. Again, we can argue till the cows come home about whether or not that's the right way to do it.
3: I'm actually fine with that, though. What, what bothers me is the the tech progression scaling up the cost as well. Uh, like, so you could have a relatively cheap baseline district district cost, and then have it like get increasingly punitive as you make like you know eight of the same thing or whatever. And then like you're still not necessarily going to be choked if you're trying to stand up a new city late game. Then. Because you can actually get a district down and get some of the early buildings down and have it like snowball up into something productive in a reasonable time frame, especially if you're using trade routes and whatever as well. But the base cost of the district going up is just kind of like from tech alone is just weird because the buildings inside it don't. It's uh, even a bit of an internal inconsistency in that way. Whereas like having it scale based on other people making the districts or based on you having so many already, not necessarily.
2: Yeah, again, I think that's justifiable from a, you know, from Firaxis's point of view, again, playing devil's advocate here as a sort of rubber banding thing, because you would assume that the- the Oh, no, I wasn't disagreeing with that. The the furthest ahead in tech and and civics are the ones who probably already have good cities with good districts. So you're, you want the civs that are behind to have an easier time building things in order to hopefully catch up and remain competitive. Yeah, Actually,
3: I don't, I think that's bad. I I went. I want the civs that are ahead to be able to leverage that advantage and win or lose.
2: <laughs> well, I don't think any of us are arguing that being behind in tech and having quicker, being able to build districts more quickly gives uh, the behind civs an overwhelming advantage. You, the, the civs that are doing better still have the advantage. It's just, you know, hopefully we can at least keep things competitive. And I'm, I'm not passing a, a value judgment. I'm just saying I think that's Firaxis's justification for this stuff.
3: Yeah, maybe. I just... Uh, so, yeah, Civ has so long had an issue with ending games that are over already and so this kind of thing doesn't help but perhaps that is a philosophical slash preference difference in that case but man has that been a glaring issue in Civ for a long time so I don't know if we want rubber banding as opposed to just ending games you go back to equal and you start a new game that's for sure
1: quality is overrated
3: <laughs> I mean only, only one Civ wins the game ultimately or one team one or the other
2: well so that's a so so like, I that's also something I wish would change, but that's a totally different subject for another day.
3: Yeah, I guess. I mean, if you're going to
2: have a competitive environment, though,
3: like in that case, rather than extending the length of the game, I would rather just see them have a means to end a game that's decided.
2: Oh, no, I meant uh, I I would like to see um, coalition victories where it's not just one Civ, but, you know, you can maybe win the game with your very close allies as well. Well, oh, I mean that's a theme then.
3: But you can have they had permanent alliances in Civ IV, for example, and you have teams in Civ Six. You could just add something like permanent alliances into Civ Six, and it wouldn't change the
2: game that much if you want. Yeah, uh, but again, I, It's a totally different subject for another day. I yeah. suspect
1: that with current events going as the way they are, there will probably be a faction system in Civ Seven. But
3: I, I hope would not Hopefully be it works just like Hearts of Iron. Oh, please no. <laughs> <laughs> just just for the record listeners, I'm not serious about that. Hearts of Iron's faction system can die in a fire along with its peace conference and war score systems.
1: I mean, Hearts of Iron 4 in general just it's like 60% a good game and then 40% horrible abomination that should never have left the developers kitchen
3: yeah it's kind of impressive in a way but it's frequently not a good way well it's like like really fun elements to it too it's it's, like that's what makes the crappy things about it all the more frustrating
1: it's like you can literally fight a war almost by yourself and win and still get nothing out of the peace deal it's that bad
3: or if you know how to game the system you can have brazil and argent attack argentina with brazil uh put argentina into the axis because you declared on Germany as well. So the Argentina as the AI will reliably join the axis in that scenario. And then you can score farm using Argentina's capital and take everything from World War II out of the nose of allies and the Soviets. And I I, I don't know, I can't imagine what that world would look like, how confused everyone would be as Brazil, who never left their continent, (laughs) takes (laughs) over like a huge percentage of Europe.
1: (laughs) Now the axis of Brazil, what? Oh, you can be any alignment you want. Doesn't even matter. Usually in that situation, you'd be non-aligned, though.
3: Yeah, or you could just be fascist and declare on the axis anyway. The game doesn't stop you. And then and the game strongly incentivizes fascism. It is easily the best uh, ideology in Hearts of Iron.
0: historical things are a different topic.
3: Yeah, but my point is, like, there is something wrong with your score system. If conquering Argentina means you can take all of Germany and Italy... While the while a different faction is occupying Germany and Italy, there's there's something not right about that. Like clearly not right about that. Uh, but that's how it is in Hearts of Iron. So yeah, like every once in a while, people ratio me for pointing out how garbage that system is. But hey, that just illustrates the extreme versions of why it's a broken system by design.
1: I mean, if you get ratioed for telling you the truth, what 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 does that mean? It means nothing yeah. because the internet it is you're full of fanboys. It means that's the it. internet is full of people who think they know
2: better. Well, that's always going to be true. I
0: mean, has the internet not been full of people who thought they knew better? I mean.
2: Dunning and Kruger have a lot to say about that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, You know what else people have a lot to say about that? Things that should be in Civ 7 from Civ 6.
3: Oof. Yeah, let's do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah article over on game Red. literally a title features that civilization seven should take from civ six so one of the first things uh, we were just talking about districts hey expand the city districts feature i disagree what do they mean by expand yeah that's what i was trying to figure out
1: this is not a uh this is once again a games journalist article so it contains about 30 percent of a thought and the rest of it is mostly just verbal diarrhea designed to fill in the fact that they don't know what they're talking about Talking about, I mean, I I, at
3: least see what they're advocating.
2: I I really doubt that districts are going to not be in Civ 7. Like, I I think that's a feature that is definitely here to stay, at least for the next few entries in the series. But I I also am very skeptical that they will work the same way that they worked in Civ 6, because there were a lot of justifiable criticisms about how they worked (laughs) in, in Civ 6 and other games in this genre are doing different things with them as well.
0: So what they kind of want here with this one, I found it, is that they want the districts themselves to produce the units, not the main city. It would be a slower rate, it would be slower to do it, but you could do it alongside the city. Like, you could be working on something else in the city and use the encampment to slowly build units.
2: So, like, each district has its own build queue? Apparently. What, what yeah. would you do in... So I guess, like, your your campus district would have its own build queue for building, like, libraries and universities? and stuff well, like they, that but then like there's only like three or four buildings in each district so like are they going to take 100 turns to build? Presumably
3: they would want more buildings/things slash available.
2: Yeah, I don't or, see the benefit of
3: this in the current district model. Like I don't think putting this into Civ 6 as Civ 6 is now would make any sense at all.
2: Well, I mean and and also it's like it completely that would take all the choices out of the game because every district would just queue up the next available building in that district type and then you just wait 50 to 100 turns for it to be done and then queue up the next building. There's no choices about, you know, uh, which which building do I want to build, which is more important to me because they're all getting built simultaneously.
0: Literally. Well, just... yeah. You...
1: Go ahead. Go ahead, Maggie.
0: Separate, yeah, separate from the main city. I mean, you could still do... That's true. They only come in... A... Like, you have to build the library before you build the other thing. And I guess in between, when they're not building something, they're producing more science, like when you do this... Uh, At the bottom, we have it where they try to produce the extra great person points or something like that, except they're actually producing maybe just literally more science or more uh, faith if it was a religious district. I mean, I see sort of that with the... I see where they're going with the encampment. I kind of see where they're going in the sense of a holy site, because you could have it produce the missionaries and prophets and whatever while your main city kept to its normal thing.
2: Yeah, there's a few districts for which this would work. Yeah, the military mm-hmm. districts for sure, your your markets and harbors building trade units, like that could work. Your religious districts building religious units, like that could work too. But again, like what does a theater district or a campus district build?
3: I'm not sure it works even for the previous ones. Like one of the important things about Civ games is that you're choosing what you're producing as a trade-off.
2: Right, which is what I was saying. It would, yeah.
3: it
1: would mean, require a full restructure of the entire concept of the gameplay. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, you would need a lot more building options, a lot more unit options, probably a lot more like district uh, um, project options. Like maybe instead of there just being one, you know, project in the campus that builds science, there's maybe like different options for generating science in different ways. I don't know. It almost
1: sounds like more of a system that would work better in a game like Humankind because in that game, units aren't one unit per tile. And uh, in Civ, you can't really have a building that auto-produces units because there's a limited number of squares on the map or hexes on the map or whatever.
2: Yeah, in Humankind, you also build multiple copies of the same type of district as well. So hypothetically in that game, like all of the districts of a single type that you built could be contributing towards that joint construction queue.
1: It just seems like it, you're, they're trying to turn or that idea turns Civ into a mobile style. Oh, wait for the timer to go off until you get your next unit.
2: Oh, Oh boy. A callback. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Which I mean, exactly that? the kind of thing that I said at the start of the episode that I'm afraid of seeing. It in, kind uh, of already has that.
1: It kind of already has that because you do produce a unit, but it's not like, oh, well, I can be doing other things while I'm producing this unit. No, it's you're producing the unit. That's what you're doing. And um, everything else is on hold while you build this unit.
2: Right. And I'm producing that unit at the expense of not being able to build anything else in that city unless I'm like gold buying them or something like that. So it's not just like I have a 100 timers that I'm waiting to go off, you know, before I can do anything.
1: This isn't Star Trek the game or whatever it was. What was the name of that? What Which was it? Star, Star Trek the mobile game where you would do uh, the things and then you would oh, have a timer. A yeah, timer to I, unlock the next timer to do the next thing.
2: I I, I played that for a little bit. I, I, what was it? Trexels. Right? You're talking about that, that pixel art game? Mm,
1: I think it was but I don't remember it being called Trexels. All I remember is it was an abomination of a game that never should have been made and should have been put on trial at at the hague basically
2: yeah it was bad
1: actually we need our own city for uh crimes against gamers or crime- oh my
2: gosh this this article would also be a lot easier to read if not for the fact that every time i scroll up or down on it it like reloads all of the ads and like everything <laughs> on the page like moves up and down it has to reformat the whole dang page every time i scroll up
1: well, the good news is these uh, articles are actually so vapid that they'll be written by AI in a few years and they won't have to pay all those people.
2: Yeah, just like uh, sports box scores. Well,
0: What's next? next uh, uh, yeah, it's develop barbarian clans, board, by which they mean let them turn into a proper civ, not just a city-state.
3: I know we've talked about civ force minor civilizations before. You get something like that again.
0: Yeah, or even you just change the current city-states that after a certain point... Maybe they could actually use that settler they captured. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but they point that would give, they, they, they were thinking like that gives the player more incentive to go get the barbarians. No, I have plenty of incentive to go get the barbarians already. They're annoying as heck. Yeah, I don't need it.
3: Go ahead. Plus, they're a sorcerer for sources uh, if you go for them. Yeah, gold. Yeah. And a score too.
0: And even their ideas, oh, but you could stay on their good side after they become a city state and you could have a potential ally. It's like, we have a mechanic for that already.
2: Well, and I think they're also specifically talking about the Barbarian Clan's game mode that was in New Frontiers Pass, mm-hmm. in which you actually could, like, bribe the Barbarians uh. to go harass someone else and oh, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Which, that's a, yeah. And, and that stuff, I, I will say, that stuff was really good. I do think that is a very good... Uh, like, first step towards making the barbarians, like, a more interesting and, you know, hopefully more humanized uh, faction within the game so that they don't come off as just being, like, mindless automaton wildlife, uh, because, ostensibly, they are people, too, and should kind of be treated as such.
1: Well, Uh, at least it's not like it was back in Civ IV, where if you left the barbarians alone, they would settle Native American cities.
2: Yeah, well, in Civ IV, they also, like, had wildlife units like wolves and bears and they had the same they were considered the same faction as the barbarians so the barbarians (laughs) in civ 4 were technically these people are animals animals.
1: i think it was more that the animals were considered barbarians than the other way around but (laughs)
2: yeah well true but still like
1: (laughs) the implication
0: goes either way
1: because the animals were gone fairly
3: quickly yeah that's true yeah that's right because they turned into barbarians animorph style Oh yeah, no!
1: Yeah, if,
0: if that barbarian clans no. mode from New Frontier <laughs> Pass was actually the default in the next game, that wouldn't be bad because as long as you can still turn it off, because I know a lot of people don't like playing with barbarians. So, but the way that that's set up, I like it because sometimes the barbarian clans would pop up like way in the north in some icy spot, and it's terrible, and you, but they'd still be attacking you. But in this way, they eventually turn into city states. So also, they're colonizing a spot that the AI won't. So you're not chasing down that one AI city in an ice tundra heck area, you know?
2: Yeah. The the pitch I keep making for what I would like to see happen with barbarians is I would like to see them actually treated more like essentially the equivalent of nomadic city States where each one is a tribe and you can actually do a certain degree of diplomacy with them. And there are benefits to allying with them. Like maybe they, you know, as nomads, they travel through other civs territory and maybe they work the tiles that they're on if you're friendly with them, so you get more yield from them or something like that. Or if you're hostile, then they start pillaging things.
3: Or we so, could uh, have those be a playable Sith type. I know we talked about that before, too.
2: Yes, yeah, as well. And if yeah, if, if those are basically the, the city-state equivalent of nomadic civilizations, fully playable nomadic civilizations, that would also be something I would like to see. Assuming Fraxis can find a way to make that work.
1: Well, I mean, Paradox found like three ways to make it work and then changed each one of them because it was too good.
2: And so did uh, Creative Assembly with the Total War Attila game, which uh, also had nomadic civilizations.
1: The problem is those games have provinces. Correct. And um, Civ does not have provinces. It has tiles. Yeah.
3: Although you could designate uh, you know
2: sets of tiles as provinces oh, on your random also, generation, if you want. That that's, also is exactly what humankind does.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's a problem.
2: Yeah, yeah it, it has it has pros and cons. I mean, one of the pros is that there's less city spam and there is more open countryside for having like, you know, field battles during wars and stuff like that. So, like, that's nice. I would like to see Civ give more incentive to not build every city three tiles apart from one another. Uh, but, yeah, it is frustrating when it's like, oh, I really want to leverage this part of the map, but I can't because I already have a city in that uh, in that zone. Although later in the game, you actually do unlock the ability to create like little satellite villages that do allow you to make like mini cities in the same uh, region. So, you know, there are also in that game ways around those limitations.
1: I do like the way that the game basically makes organizations like Dallas and Fort Worth impossible because you can't have two big cities in the same province.
2: No, but you could build them literally adjacent to each other as long as they're on the border of the provinces.
0: Well, by the scale of humankind, Texas would be in a province into itself, and we have four large cities in one province, so, uh, hold up.
3: Well, that's going to be true uh, pretty much everywhere, though, because the maps are scaled down in size, so that they're playable.
1: From where I live, Texas doesn't have four big cities, it has, like, ten big cities. Because, for us, a hundred thousand people is a big city. (laughs)
3: How many provinces in France? In like uh, uh, one of those uh, Total War games, Uh, I'm sure there are more big cities in France than there are provinces in any of the Total War
2: games. I mean, it depends on the specific game because some of them have larger and smaller scales to them. But yeah, like uh, for example, uh, Empire Total War, like uh, Britain is one province. (laughs) That game actually had a global scale to it. Yeah,
1: yeah. I remember that game. I tried to play it again recently. The interface is so awful like the the mouse controls are so finicky it's like we've come a long way
0: and i should say five cities i should include san antonio it's gotten really big i keep forgetting
1: wait what were the four big ones before san
3: antonio
0: dallas fort worth houston and austin
3: is dallas Um, really a city though yes it it is
1: i've been there it's huge (laughs) man
0: it's a concrete jungle, and I live in it. It's Dallas, really big. Dallas is such have the
1: a
3: Cowboys
0: b- th- there. That- no, that's Fort Worth.
1: Dallas is actually so big that it makes every city in my state look tiny. And we have a city the size of a freaking county.
0: They're
3: not called the Fort Worth Cowboys, Maggie. <laughs>
0: they shed bait. The only urban Cowboys over. Here. Anyway, okay. One thing they did want to keep was the current current envoy system and the way the government features work with the cards. They're just like add some more new stuff, which, yeah, even us we have been playing it, yeah, can we have some more new cards because we have some that, it just makes sense that we always slot those in and there should be some better alternatives, you know.
2: Like the aforementioned reduce the cost scaling of districts card that I proposed earlier for the yes. previous topic.
1: I uh, disagree wholeheartedly with this particular suggestion. I think the government cool. system sucks and I want the Civ 5 city-state system back.
3: Yikes. I mean, the Civ Five city seat system is maybe better in some ways and worse than others in, than Civ Five, But the government system of Civ Six sucks outright. Yeah. Well, because
1: you have so little choice. Uh, like, you have a bunch of these government uh, policy cards. Like, big whoop, I'm a bad There player. are trade-offs
3: to both the timing of it and what you're slotting in as a choice. Like I think it has more nuance to it than Civ 4 and Civ 4 is the next best competitor when it comes to managing. I'll
1: be honest. I'll be honest about this. My dislike of the government system lies totally on my bad working memory because I cannot keep the number of cards that there are possibilities in my head long enough to make a decision that actually works because if I'm trying to make a decision about like what does my empire really need? there are too many variables that have to be held in my brain while going to the other screen and switching things out that in between the switch, my brain just loses like 30- 80% of them. And then it's like, uh, okay, this sounds good.
3: A I pre- feel like that would be an issue with any sufficiently complex system though. Like it, wouldn't you similarly struggle with worker micro and Civ four then? Cause you'd have to sequence,
2: uh, yes, what you're I did based on a priorities. lot. Yeah.
1: Like I, I said, I don't I play is- at a high level.
2: Yeah, I think part of that is could be fixed if the uh, the policies and government screen in Civ Six had like a preview of how the particular combination of cards would affect your like yields and stuff like that. There's a mod that does that.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean that's just good UI generally. There's there's no reason to force the player to do math repeatedly when it could be it's a calculatable thing.
1: No, I wasn't even going into the math. I was literally. I'm just
3: saying, like, in any (laughs) game, like, unless math is part of the game itself, making people go through the hoops of doing the math repeatedly or having, like, a heuristic memory of it is just a pain. It's busy work in deciding, in what you really should be doing is trying to evaluate the trade offs and decide which one gives you the best chance to win. It would ask people to do mundane crap repeatedly, like doing the calculations, as opposed to just displaying the consequences of your choices is generally bad UI and it is a good practice generally to show the consequences of your choices.
2: It would also also possibly be nice to have maybe some kind of a civic automation system where like you can pick from various uh, yield focuses and then it automatically populates your government with the cards that are going to give you the most amount of that particular yield. So say you're playing a religious civ and you want to maximize your faith output you click the, the faith optimize button, it'll automatically slot in all of the, you know, civics that generate the most faith. And then, you know, you don't have to do that yourself. You just, you know, maybe you can you can change them out from there if you want to further customize it. But uh, it's just like, yeah, give me all the faith you can and then it'll just do it. And you Yeah, have, I'll just like, give you some clicks. Yeah, you don't have yeah, to go like through that all, nice. of the, all of the Civic cards. And that would probably also help Canis because he could be like, all right, well, what does my Empire need? I need more science. Give me all of the science you can, Civics.
1: Yeah, I, I'm well aware that as a brain-damaged person attempting to play a 4X strategy game, the game is not built for me. And I just need to accept that, but I still don't like it.
2: Well, you you should definitely, I think be very active on like the forums and stuff like that with these sorts of of um, issues because a lot of game uh, development studios are putting a, a large uh, amount of attention lately these past few years on accessibility you know like we have games like the last of us part two that had like a whole friggin option screen of things like color coding the player characters and the enemies for people who are vision impaired and all kinds of different audio settings for people who are audio impaired different ways of handling controller inputs for people who have motor disabilities so you know yeah definitely bring these things up to them so that they are aware of them and you know propose ideas for what you think might help you because these companies are really trying to make accessibility a big part of their uh, game designs right now.
3: What I think and
1: I well,
2: need this to help
3: everyone, literally everyone. What, <laughs> what I, what There's I
2: no good reason not to have good UI, but
3: yeah, I mean, certainly improving accessibility, it, it was, should be a priority as well.
1: What I do, and by yeah. that I
3: mean like accessing the information of the game. I don't mean like we need to make the game easier for people. No, just make playing the game less of a chore, so that the parts of it that are enjoyable are accessible. <laughs>
1: Maybe just a little thing on the side of the card that says this will affect X of your cities.
3: No, so. I, I like Jason's suggestion where you you see the consequences of of what you're yeah, putting in, is, uh, like yeah. uh, on that screen, I and mean, then you, can do you do move in cards and move out cards and look at the at the yields of that and decide what's best for you just by looking at the consequences directly.
2: Yeah, there, well, there could be both. There could be a tooltip that pops up on the cards themselves that say, "This will change your, you know, yields by this much," or "This will affect your cities in this way." And then also, after you've slotted everything in, before saving them and committing to them, there could be a little preview button that shows you like the entire like e- economy overview screen of and yeah, all the, the and all the differences in all the yields for all the cities that that it, would make.
0: It just has to be like a line at the bottom or at the top that shows this will change your empire by. This much science, this much faith, this much gold, this much culture, whatever, and show it as plus or minus. You're going to lose a little bit per turn. You're going to gain some of this per turn.
2: And Civ 6 already has an economic overview panel that lists all of your cities and what all their yields are. So all I'm saying is that you make that accessible from within the civics and government screen and have it show the plus and minuses for what your uh, what your current yields are and then what the new yields would be with these policies.
1: That's it. Way to solve it dual monitor usefulness that way you can look at one (laughs) thing on one monitor and then your window on another monitor and you're like okay i can see what i'm doing because i can look over here and look at the actual game i'm well aware that i need help like that but i don't like to accept it so don't don't listen to my opinion on that particular topic because it is biased
2: but you're absolutely well, right that the, the game your bias should behind requesting good UI and then you're the, good. The game should absolutely have a better UI for displaying that sort of information because I you know, I don't have the same cognitive impairments, but I have trouble with some of that stuff too. Like is it better to get, you know, for example, there's like the policies where you get like more science from science adjacency yields from your campuses or more yields from the buildings? And it's like, well, which of these is going to be better in order to figure that out? I would have to close the civic screen, go to the map, count up all of my um, campus districts and what their yield, their adjacency bonuses are, figure out what they would be when they're doubled, and then look at all the buildings and count up their yields and what those would be if they're changed and then compare the two in my head. Like you shouldn't the player shouldn't have to do that. The game should do that. This is this is why computers were invented in order to do these sorts of things.
1: Well, on the city states, it's not based on that. The reason I don't like the current city state system is because they are the the mission system is extremely. I don't like it. It's like
2: I am in full agreement with you on this one. It's like oh, well, we can go back to Civ Five for missions.
1: Like I like the Civ Five City State system because it wasn't just like oh. This city state belongs with me forever and uh, forever and ever. And also, if the uh, enemy like coos you, you lose all your envoys, which you can't get back ever. So it's like, well, that's just great. That's a large investment that's gone because of a dice roll. Now, it's true that you could have that happen with a monetary investment in Civ 5, but money is easily replaceable. It's not like you can't get more money to buy your influence bag.
2: I yeah, but do, you only
0: have so many opportunities for getting envoys. Yeah, yeah,
2: I, yeah. I do like that. Um, that Civ six separated the relationships with the city states from just being gold investment. Like I like that. I just don't know if the envoy system is like a strict improvement because there's still it's better in some ways. It's it's worse than in other ways, like you just said in a game. Although like- there's
3: something to be said for having an economic victory in the game, and that's functionally what. Getting the city states all back, you was in Civ 5.
1: I would uh, say that dealing with the game in Civ 6, the Civ 5 city state system would have problems because money is much easier to get in Civ 6 than it is in Civ 5.
2: Yeah, that would also be a problem. Uh, alliances with city states would be pretty trivial for the player in Civ 6.
1: But you could also solve that by just making the gold costs scale with the era because.
2: But then again, also having to spend that gold on city-state relationships would be a sink for gold, which would reduce the amount of total gold that the player has on hand for other things. So maybe that actually would be helpful in Civ Six,
1: Considering that you that will very often the game you end the game with like 10,000 gold in the treasury, that could be a good way to use it.
2: Yeah, it's something else to do with them, something else to think about. So it's not just stockpiling in your treasury with you having nothing to do for it. And then also making those tough decisions of, well, do I want to buy this district or do I want to you know, bribe this city-state?
3: You want to buy an artillery army and capture the
2: city-state. And the barbarians clan thing helped with that too because you you pay money to bribe the barbarians in in the New Frontiers uh, clans mode. So that's also something – to do with your gold the problem with that mechanic is that the barbarians are all in the early game when gold is at much more of a premium and then you still don't have much to spend it on in the late game because all the barbarians are gone by that point
1: that's not my experience but I'm also a bad player
2: well, the, the barbarians aren't as active a nuisance in the late game as they are in the early game. You, you pro- In the later game, you probably don't need to be spending large sums of money on bribing the barbarians to not attack your cities or to harass oh, other
1: people. Well, yeah, they're usually out just messing around in the ocean. And I said, yeah, they
2: yeah, they they're, they're, maybe they're sinking some of your caravels or, or knocking out one of your, you know, ocean trade vessels every now and then. you got to go send a frigate or a privateer or something out to deal with them. But they're not like pillaging all the tiles in your cities until you bribe them to go away the way they are at the beginning of the game
1: i think we've got one more option
0: yeah well there's two here one of them was to make industries more in depth but they oh, don't right. they but they don't say how they just give them more control over the inner workings of the industry okay
3: which i don't think fits the scope of uh civ
1: well no, if he's, he's talking about the monopolies and corporations yeah. power which uh i mean i think it's fine it would be really nice if the AI could use it without stopping the improvement of any land tiles in the game whatsoever. But, you know... Yeah,
2: yeah, I stopped using it because of that bug. I have no idea if that's been fixed yet.
1: Of course not. There hasn't been a patch.
2: Yeah, Stupid and the other
0: Firaxis. thing was do was more with natural disasters. I was no like, thanks. Yeah, I know. They, first off, they're like, can we add tsunamis and stuff? And They said add tornadoes, but tornadoes are already in the game. It's like a, a cell of spawns tornadoes that goes across everything and they want it to the client they want it to be even worse with the climate change uh, levels like they want you to be literally verging on disaster when you're trying to go for the science victory but that's not necessarily under control of the human player how it's going because the ai will sit there and pollute like crazy ai does not care
3: yeah no. i mean disasters are already in civ 6 way more impactful on empires than they were historically by a margin and they are some of the things in the game with the least agency on top of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't see why we need less agency on something that's already bordering fantasy mechanic.
1: Well, yes, but they also give you benefits if you manage it, right? The thing. Sure. But again,
3: it's, it's a fantasy mechanic already. And so like doing more with the fantasy mechanic and emphasizing them to a degree, like you might as well have magic at that point. In fact, you could just call them magic disasters or something, and it wouldn't change a whole lot about how they play. Now, like maybe somebody wants that in Civ. That's fine to want that. but I don't think it fits the Civ gameplay as it's designed now. So, unless you're making Civ Seven a different game, like different type of game, I I don't agree with this at all. I can see the abstraction.
2: Earthquakes were pretty devastating disasters, and uh, those are not Mm -hmm. represented in Civ Six at all
1: because they're not
3: climate related. Really, on the scale of like sixty years or something. Uh,
1: <laughs>
2: neither volcanoes aren't really climate related either, other than the fact well, that they, uh,
1: uh, they absolutely are climate related. Well, and if you
2: don't <laughs> caused by the climate though, they they affect the climate, but they don't affect the climate in Civ six. So, well,
1: yeah, well
0: uh, we have all these volcanoes going off in the early age. Why isn't it already turning up the climate change level then?
1: Well, because, uh,
3: uh it would do the opposite. It would be cooling.
1: Yeah. Because volcanoes actually cool <laughs> the climate. Um, Like, right around the Plague of Justinian, we have records of two or three fairly large eruption events, and we're not exactly sure where in the world they happened, but they caused a 200-year ice age. So, uh, volcanoes are pretty impressive and do, in fact, affect the land for a long time.
3: They are the most impactful, like, more so than hurricanes, way more so than tornadoes, way more so than earthquakes. Yeah, if you're going to have one that's significant on the time frame of SIP, that would be the one to use, actually. Uh,
2: I I will say, though, that I do agree to an extent that uh, I think the the global warming thing could maybe go a little bit further because the fact that you can just hand wave that at the end of the game and not even worry about it and just power to a victory without dealing with it at all, I do think that is kind of a problem. And I would like to see, like, (laughs) maybe dealing with climate change actually be part of the victory condition so that you don't just, you know... Win yeah. and preside over this flooded, hot, desertified <laughs> wasteland of a world because that's a situation where nobody wins.
0: Yeah, but we need. The well, thing is there like, situation. how much does
2: that look like mechanically?
3: Because either you're effing off into space, in which case having climate change bother you probably doesn't make much sense because you're not in the climate any longer. Or if you conquer literally everybody else. Like, I guess you can spend a few turns trying to shore up climate change or whatever at the end, yeah. but and that everyone else come- is gone, so it's not going to be very interesting uh, to interact with.
0: It's, it's also so late in the game, and this stuff would almost be future tech, or just yeah. past our modern tech for some of the stuff we need to deal with that.
3: It's so. already so, yeah, also tech. the current issue that the game is usually decided in practice long before climate change is a factor in the game, because usually you you're know who's going to win before the industrial era begins let alone like before it is having any impact on the climate i think
1: volcanic ice ages and uh things like that things that last multiple decades or multiple centuries you can add those those are fine but we don't need anything at the end of the game because the stuff at the end of the game is already almost fantasy level to begin with uh not the not like the climate change part but the the like there's no way that climate change is going to make the ocean rise by three meters in the next hundred years, like not going to happen. But you know, is... but there
2: is desertification and stuff like that as well that Civ Six didn't model at all.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah that's except...
2: we
3: should be back a random tiles turning <laughs>
0: desert. <laughs> desert. Oh with, god, with like
3: no, no back pattern reason to, to have the actual world climate would look desertification. appear like, desert in the middle of France, but like surrounded by not deserts. Still, lol.
1: <laughs> my my knowledge of desertification is dated to like mid2000s, so I don't know if this is still the only way that I know of, but the most of the desertification that happens is in the south is at the south edge of the Sahara where the sand is just blowing into the lush area and drowning it. Now I don't know if that's the only way that can happen, but um, at the time that I learned about it, that's where it was happening the most. And I don't think that's
2: like extended, you know, droughts that, you know, turn what used to be fairly moderate, you know, climates into borderline desert. Like, you know, I I live in Las Vegas. We are painfully aware of how, you know, all of Southern California is becoming more and more like desert.
1: Mm, I don't know about Southern California, but there are parts of the world that are getting more arid.
2: Yeah, one of the effects of, of climate change is that wet places tend to get wetter and dry places will tend to get drier. So it's not like you're going to have, you know, tropical rainforests turning into deserts. But, you know, the the range of existing deserts will expand because the areas around them are going to, you know, fall under that threshold of uh, what is it, like two inches a year of rainfall or something like that is the, the cutoff point for technically being considered a desert.
1: Yeah, but if you're if you're getting 2.1 inches of rain per year you're already effectively a desert anyway. So I don't right. know. <laughs> you, you we're not here to less. argue climate change because I think we both agree that it's a problem, but, uh, you know, we're talking about Civ. So,
3: yeah, it's also much harder but, to predict in your life and it yeah. can be modeled in a game. But you like, if you, go. if you sufficiently damage the climate enough to like interrupt the Gulf stream, for example, the impacts of that will be far and wide. And I don't think there's a person alive that could properly model everything, all the consequences of that accurately. Yeah. But in the game, we just need to know which provinces are going to flood or which tiles are going to flood or whatever. <laughs> like, we're not trying to do that kind of advanced stuff. Again, that kind of, kind of math slash calculation slash modeling is appropriate but not in a game of civilization where we're trying to optimize for our, our empire growth in a 4X. We're not trying to, like, do crazy stuff. We're
1: not trying to save the world. We're just trying to emulate it. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and poorly because we are mostly trying to play a game rather than model the reality. Modeling reality is secondary to the gameplay trade-offs.
1: Huh, the stream is being very uh, sluggish in its response. I clicked Uh stop streaming and it was like five seconds before it came up with, you will not be able to continue streaming.
3: So that's what we should do for the 630 game, right? We should set the turn timer to five seconds like
2: that video.
1: (laughs) That would be, I be I think it was five seconds and also marathon speed.
2: Yeah. You know what would be an even crazier thing is if they had an option for the AI to automate any moves that you didn't make when the time timer expires. Oh no. <laughs> oh <laughs> no. To make a move and then any other moves, the AI will do them for you. <laughs> i'm not sure if that's like, better or worse so, so not only do you have time to make decisions but you have to act actively fight against the ai making bad decisions but like you oh have so little God. time with five seconds
3: uh, if you have like more than a few cities it might be better in a lot of cases to do nothing rather than so, or like do something rather than nothing so like it might actually help you just because otherwise your cities would sit idle then you can like micromanage like a couple units and still have some level of productivity going on behind you, even if it's horribly optimized and awful, it's better than just, like, literally picking nothing in the queue, I think. Right? Oh, man. Maybe?
1: We could start a whole new challenge series for Civ Fanatics. The 5-second turn timer challenge. Beat Deity on 5-second turn timer.
3: Oh, my God. <laughs> you might be able to do it with the diplomatic stuff, maybe.
1: I don't
2: <laughs> think so. Spiffing Brit did it with the... Um... The, yeah, the Maori by just parking well, in a corner somewhere and getting the diplomatic points.
0: Yeah, but he needed more than five seconds per turn to manipulate all the diplomacy. Yeah,
2: for the first few turns at least, and then at the very end of the game. But for the most of the game, he just hit and turn and turn and turn. I mean, I think it would just be hard
3: because the game doesn't have like it does not accept inputs fast enough. Like even if you could in principle be like a three hundred apm StarCraft two player optimized to input stuff into Civ six. As quickly as humanly possible, like the game will slow you down. Like, you cannot, there's no input buffering, there's nothing like that. So, you can't like queue up 100 moves in those five seconds or whatever, or 300 moves in those five seconds, and then you like have the game execute them all before the timer runs out. It just runs out. There is some. On the number of possible orders you can make,
1: there is some input
3: buffering, but not enough. It's inconsistent input buffering, it's the worst kind. Yeah. Because I like even like I am no like pro StarCraft player, but even I in Civ six run afoul of inconsistent input buffering because sometimes it'll buffer your inputs and sometimes it won't do them when you're shipping it well because it, it inputted them previously or buffered them previously, and that's a bad place to be in because then you can't trust it. So you're you're forced to sit there and watch to make sure what you ordered happens. So you wait a little longer than you would otherwise, which only slows you down further.
1: I know I have this issue where a lot of times it will take a, take uh, because. I don't know how to describe it. I'm not sure exactly what's happening, but sometimes when I take one, I move my hand to do something with the mouse. Like there's some sort of weird input that happens. I think it's my finger not properly releasing or something, but I'll find out that it's like, oh, the, the mouse actually clicked when I didn't want it to click or I let go of it when I wasn't planning on it and it will just take the input. And then I'm sitting here 10 turns later. Why is my unit on the other side of the world? Civ is really a game oh. I probably shouldn't play.
2: Oh yeah, I, I, I think stuff like that will happen if you like accidentally like click and drag into like the fog of war or something like that. Oh yeah, that's and then, probably and then it. the and then the unit tries pathing around the entire world because there's like a it knows that there's like a mountain or something in the way, but you don't know that or there's a unit on that tile, so it like decides to take the long way around.
1: Yeah, but yeah, Civ is probably not a game that I should try to play effectively with my current pr- problems but well
2: if if it makes I you feel any it. better if it makes you feel any better the fact that like the rest of us even recognize the problems that you're talking about means it's problems for other people too yeah yep. so oh speaking of hearts of
3: iron and, and these unit selection like you can select units on screen the drag box and then click to move and somehow the game selects units that are not on screen i do not understand how the f- their coding is but that has happens like every time I play it, without exception, it reliably will select units that are not on screen when I use a drag box. Like I don't understand. I I don't even understand what kind of what kind of programming incompetency leads to that. I the only uh, time I've ever observed that in a game.
1: I have an idea, but it's still very very bad. That no no programmer should ever leave in a product. The idea is that you draw the box with the mouse. And for some reason, the programmer doesn't have the two lines of code required to bind the box to the screen. So it will like keep drawing the lines that you have indicated beyond the edge of the screen and select any unit that just happens to be in the way.
3: But like the box is fully contained on the screen.
1: Yeah, but it, the vectors aren't limited because... When you draw a box on the screen, all four of the lines of the box get drawn mathematically across the entire screen and the entire digital space. And you're supposed to bind the boxes twice. First, by where the actual edge of the line is and where the edge of the screen is. That way, you don't end up with weird anomalies like this. And if you don't Mm. bind them on the edge of the screen, sometimes you'll end up with, like, if for some reason it goes into the negative and the programming code is just bad. It will register areas that it shouldn't as active and collect them.
3: I see. So yeah, I haven't been able to discern a pattern for which units get selected off screen, but maybe that wouldn't be discernible if it's the issue you're describing.
2: It sounds like based on what Canis is saying that it would always be units that are to the right or bottom of where you're dragging the box because you probably, dr- well, actually, no, can you drag the box in any direction or do you have to drag from top left to bottom right? You can start off from any direction and drag it either way. Okay, then in that case, it would be units in whatever direction you're dragging towards. So if you start your click at the bottom right corner of the box and then drag up into the left, then I th- if I'm understanding Canis correctly, what would happen is units that are further to the left off the screen or further up but off the screen might also get included in that vector space
1: that oh, is possible yeah, but, I mean,
2: that's possible but i haven't, if I haven't
3: it's, noticed
1: if it's a bug process which which it clearly is then there could be other things that are affecting it as well like maybe it will only pick up the first unit it sees in that area and then it will be then it will realize oh crap i'm in the wrong place and then just take that unit and add it to the rest that's one way that could happen. Um, theoretically, if it's like if it's got both vectors that aren't cut off at the end, it could try to extrapolate where the edge should be and then draw a line between them. It is very. There are a lot of ways that bugs happen, which is why it's really hard to figure out why some bugs happen.
2: Well, and Phil, are um, I mean, I, I only played Hearts of Iron 4 very briefly, but if I remember correctly, like units when you build units they're like deployed into armies already and then they like leave where they're built and then they go to join the army so is it possible uh, that that what's necessarily selected is something that's in like the same army as the units you're trying to select so it selects them as well but they're just on their way to joining the army so it's not a chance get... okay
3: the way you select <laughs> like is if, not... if, since you're not too familiar with the game it'd be hard for me to explain to you but there's like there's a frontline mechanic and then there's a micromanagement a- mechanic I'm talking about specifically scenarios where I've drag clicked a specific number of units and I'm trying to right click them into enemy territory in a way that the game will not move them willingly otherwise. So there's no chance that an automatic deployment would would path that way because unless I execute an attack order, there's no chance that the game should automate an attack into their territory at all. Now, there are some other bugs uh, that result in that, but they have green arrows rather than red arrows. You know, the game doesn't update pathing on front lines but based on front line changes, and it will make units that are not assigned to an attack order attack into territory. Um, and I, I don't think that should be considered working as intended either. It's, it's clearly it's, nonsense,
2: but it's, terrible. it's a
3: different kind of issue.
2: So I'm, I'm curious, are Hearts of Iron 1 through 3 also like really bad, or were those like really good games and it's just 4 that for whatever reason is broken beyond repair?
3: 4 is the first one I played, so I have no idea. But my impression is that you didn't have the ability to have all these automated things happening in the earlier games. So they were micro-hell, but because they didn't have this kind of stuff implemented, they were only micro-hell, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I have heard that the earlier Hearts of Irons are really good, and that 4 is the worst. And I've also heard that 4 is okay, and I've also heard that um, 4 is only good with
3: mods. 4 has some fun elements but some of its design stuff is like subjectively bad and some of its design stuff is objectively bad and that it does not accomplish what the developers stated was the intention for the mechanic and it isn't close either well
1: it is paradox and they have like 10 man teams so it's probably it's working is it working as intended no but is it working most of the time (laughs) well then ship
3: it it's also not working i'm sorry but no it, like it's uniquely bad, even for Paradox games that I've played. Now I haven't played Stellaris. I haven't played Vicky Three. I've like barely touched Vicky Two. Uh, you know, I've, I haven't touched Imperator Rome at all. So maybe those are equally bad. But among the Paradox games that I've played, Hearts of Iron stands far above the others in terms of the issues with it, uh, both objective and subjective issues. And the ones that bother me, those are the objective issues. Things like the game telling you that something will happen and then it doesn't happen, or that you need this requirement to do that, and that that's not actually true. Uh, either you don't you you meet the requirement and don't get it anyway, or you actually don't need that requirement to get it in the first place. Or you have things like air traffic control or uh, weather slash air accident controllers, and you can hire them, and they actually do nothing in the code. Uh, there's all kinds of things like that which just don't have near the sheer volume of issues in other games in their lineup. Also, and on top of that, its UI is by far the worst by a margin. It is a complete joke. And I don't think anybody who has any sense of pride in their work should have let the game ship in that state. It's that bad from a UI perspective. It lies to you, it fights you in the controls, and they, they deliberately made it worse in taking away the player option to micro in at first and then penalizing it as a, as a trade-off instead. When they got called out for it. Yeah.
1: What? You mean you don't like our automated crap? Well, then get
3: screwed. <laughs> yeah, we are we're, we're going to intentionally take away your ability to micro it and retain planning bonus because we want you to use our mechanic that doesn't work. But we're not going to fix the mechanic that doesn't work. <laughs> you can't even spearhead properly using the spearhead order because spearhead units will do supporting attacks uh, to help the units that are attacking enemies to pin to allow the spearhead to execute. And there's like oh my gosh, there are fanboys who actually defend that as a functionality. It's unreal. Like, that's not what the word spearhead means in English, and I don't think the Swedish equivalent implies it either. Yeah, <sighs> whatever.
2: Oh. I like Stellaris, at least until they removed all the FTL options other than the uh, Piper lanes.
3: I heard that they were like completely imbalanced, though, to the point where you had to use like only one of the options because it was so much better than the other ones.
2: That, that was, yeah, I mean, but I wasn't playing it at a high enough level to you know for that to have been a problem for me so I don't know how legitimate the complaints were but I liked the other FTL methods like the <laughs> hyperlanes one was to me like the least interesting because it's also like the one that every other space forex does yeah. there's a
1: reason why every other space forex does it I mean
2: apparently I, s- I suppose that is the case but um, there was also a really good Star Trek mod uh, for Solaris that I played for uh, a while until the, you know, removal of the warp drive mechanic kind of broke it.
1: Vicky 3 isn't even out yet, and people have already decided it's a terrible game.
3: Mm, Paradox's track record lately hasn't been great with new releases, but who knows? Well, it
1: did get leaked and discovered to be a pile of crap.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I just didn't care about it enough to look into it, but (laughs) my impression from players who like Vicky uh, was that it did not look good to them.
1: You can't declare war. or At all? Where I think you can, but you don't control any of your own units on the map, so you have no real agency over it.
3: So uh, yeah, I guess then your entire agency is going to be on the economic management side of things and, and into some great diplomacy. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's some people's cup of tea though.
1: I can understand, but you can't make a a game about world history where war is uh, forbidden.
3: You just can't. Well, you're not saying that it's forbidden. You're saying you can't control the units. Those are two different proposition i'm not even sure units appear on the map even so if your if your history-based game is emphasizing the diplomatic and economic side of things deliberately i mean that's not necessarily invalid it's not to my preference
2: but but how they, much teeth do diplomatic actions have if you don't have the threat of war to back certain diplomatic actions well, up. you
3: do have the threat of war it's just that the game isn't letting you micromanage the units it's just deciding on the outcome based on dice rolls or whatever the it's doing but like, it's still a threat in that if you don't adequately build up your nation to be more capable, then you're going to lose. Unless you trick the AI into like hug boxing with you or something. I mean, people have done EU4 runs with no units and have made substantial headway that way. So it's not completely impossible, but uh, generally speaking, <laughs> it's not the way you want to approach the game, usually.
1: General rule, you don't take the war out of a game that has the subtitle Expansion, Diplomacy... Uh, what was it expansion diplomacy economy war
3: i don't know what it does
1: i don't either but all i know is that nobody who thought they were going to like vicky 3 actually does so and it's not even out yet
2: i wonder if maybe the version that was leaked was maybe some like alpha or something that just doesn't have all those mechanics implemented yet
1: no these were these things i haven't actually looked at the the leak all i know is what they said in the dev diaries
2: oh okay
1: yeah, the dev diary said, we aren't letting you control your armies. Oh, well, it's what they get for putting Wiz the Wiz in charge of it. I mean, he's the one who designed Stellaris such that they had to completely redesign the whole thing afterwards. Why would he do any better with uh, Victoria 3, which is the one all your fans are really,
3: really wanting? Well, some people can get better over time, but I don't have much faith in Wiz in particular. Well, he-, I have- he has earned a lot of disrespect from me. Uniquely among Paradox employees like for all the disagreements I've had with Johan over the years like he's improved I've improved as a person in arguing with him and like the games he's overseeing now seem better to me than they were like eight years ago for example
1: like he's actually a game designer who learns from the stuff he does yeah he's a good game designer which is probably why his company is big because you know even if we don't agree with somebody their success can tell us that other people maybe are okay with that, and they at least have an idea of what they're doing. Uh, but Wiz, Wiz's arguments are like, you're wrong because I said the word means this, or um, things like, you're wrong because you're wrong.
3: Yeah, he does that all the time.
1: Like, c- Could you give me some supporting evidence to your statement? Banned. Banned. Now, we have another topic we could do, but it's also very late in the show, so why don't we just go ahead and call it off. I'll come back to it next week when we have no other topics.
3: Like Candace is saying,
1: get out. No. sure.
2: At least then I'll be able to actually watch the video.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Both videos, actually. Yeah. Homework. You mean all three. What do you mean all three? Where's the third one?
3: Oh, we got the got an interview with Thorin
2: Johnson about oh, Old yeah. World. Oh, yeah.
1: That was on the list, but... Because we already had one from last time, I didn't add it.
2: Yeah. Sounds like we got a lot of homework for two weeks from now then.
1: I mean, I already watched the GDC one, but... Oops, spoilers.
2: (laughs) All right, well, stay tuned for two weeks from now when we will be uh, talking a lot about... uh... Uh, video interviews and game design and stuff like that it'll be loads of fun but in the meantime this has been Polycast episode 403 and I have been one of your regular co-hosts Mega Bears fan joined as always by Canis Albinus protect your brain you'll never get it back Makalua
0: come back next time for our own mini GDC I guess
1: and the me and team don't get caught in the TMIT disaster thanks for listening I can't imagine what a TMIT disaster would be
0: is it worse than having Grimbeck start next to you as Nubia uh, in a PvP
1: game? In a PvP game, I don't think there's anything worse. Except maybe <laughs> except maybe Grimbeck starting next to you as Sumeria.
3: <laughs> yeah, it, I, yeah, I don't know what, between those two, which I'd rather try to defend with like starting units.
1: Civilization 3, 4, 5, 6, and Beyond Earth sound clips. Copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the Polycast at thepolycast.net.